Come with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another fine edition of Ghost Chronicles Next Generation. I am Ron Kolick, your host, the gatekeeper to the realm of the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable, soon-to-be Santa Claus, New England's own Van Helsing. With me, all the way across the pond, is not Anne, but is the gold standard in ghost hunting himself, the founder of Parascience and was on that horrible TV show. No, it was a good TV show. Most no, it was horrible. You were right the first time. I liked it. Mr. Steve Parson. Good morning. How are you, Ron? It's not morning. It's evening. No, it's Thursday morning. No, no, no. No. Sorry. No, it's, def- it's definitely Thursday morning. Anyway, how are you? Yeah, I'm okay. I'm okay. Good. Whatever. Whatever. It is what it is. So, anyways, um, we're broadcasting live, of course, on uh, Tojanet, Pararex, Ghost Channel, and so much farther beyond. And also, you can get us on your smartphone with your TuneIn app. So, there you go. So, anyways, Mr. Parsons, uh, I understand a cohort of yours uh, has been called in to comment, investigate, or whatever, on the mysterious... Dancing statue. Oh yeah, and my uh, the co-founder of Parascience and my colleague and lo- well, long-suffering colleague. Um, yeah, she's doing a segment for MSNBC uh, next week in Manchester, England, uh, mm-hmm. which is examining. I think a story that's uh, it's sort of recirculated. It, it, it uh, this. Uh, there's an Egyptian statue, a small statue about uh, 12 inches high, that um, they noticed when they that it was turning round in the display cabinet. So the curators set up a time-lapse camera, and indeed, the statue was turning round. Um, so the story hit the headlines. It was uh, it increased the visitor numbers. And there was obviously, you know, uh, associations of Egyptian curses and uh, King Tutankhamun, who was mentioned, and all sorts of paranormal sceptics got in on it with their explanations. But eventually, um, a, a an acoustician, an acoustic engineer, went along there and he set up some vibration detection detecting equipment to test the idea that perhaps it was... Uh, vehicles driving past the museum which is located in the city centre of Manchester which is uh, the UK's second largest city mm-hmm. um, and that it was causing vibrations uh, the glass shelf was was vibrating slightly and that the statue having a slightly convex base so slightly domed out was turning round and when you when you actually compare the footage uh, of from the time lapse camera um, with the output from the vibration meter, you'll uh-huh. notice that 
by day from about six o'clock in the morning till uh, the late at night when the traffic quietens down, the statue does indeed turn very, very slowly. However, at night when things are much quieter and there's no visitors to the museum and the traffic outside the museum building falls much lighter, the statue stops. So uh, I think that's case proven, really. But Anne's doing a feature about it for MSNBC next week. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The haunted statue that never was. And it's all gone very quiet on my headphones. Well, I'm guessing you're still there. I can't hear anything at the moment, which is a bit spooky. Hello? Keep talking. Hello? I can keep talking, but there's nobody here to listen to me. So, yeah, um, I, I don't know if I'm the only one on the planet now uh, in the wee small hours of Thursday. But uh, So that's the spooking news from the UK that's been doing the rounds this week, uh, together with, of course, the story that's uh, come across from the USA. Uh, I understand that some ghost hunters visited a haunted plantation house, I think, in New Orleans and managed to burn it down. Uh, much to the irritation and annoyance of the paranormal community. Uh, these guys have been arrested and that they have uh, been charged. I'm sorry, I'm just watching uh, the Skype feed at the same time to see if there's actually anybody even there in the world. Um, and over here, of course, we've now got all of uh, the, good go- the good guy ghost hunters. In fact, every ghost hunter is raising their raising their... Uh, throwing their hands up in despair and saying that could never happen and that these guys... Pardon? Can you hear me? I can hear you perfectly. We had a massive power failure here. Ah, well, we were just... I was just sort of struggling on in silence. Um, I'd started to talk about the, the other piece of paranormal news that's hit the headlines big time over here in the UK, which, of course, is the New Orleans ghost hunters who managed to burn down the plantation house. You must have seen it. It's all over the uh, paranormal news. It's all over Facebook. Uh, uh, Seven seven thrill-seeking ghost hunter adventurer types went into a plantation house in New Orleans, and uh, they managed to burn it to the ground. Uh, On purpose? Uh, No. I I understand it was an accident, but uh, they were there illegally and that they've all been arrested and dutifully charged. Oh. Uh, but, of course, what you've got now is the, you know, the entire paranormal community throwing up its arms in despair, and there's the, the, uh, the, wrenching of, the wrenching of hair and the beating of breasts, and everybody has an opinion about it. It, it really has been big news this week hmm. here in and- the U.K., so what is what is happening? I mean, what is the the thoughts about it you know, on the UK side? Just curious. Well, it it, it it it's pretty much as you can imagine it would be um, one of D 
discussed, one of uh, distancing oneself from this sort of ghost hunting and the idea that you know people can be so irresponsible and that they're a, a very bad sort to have uh, within the paranormal community, and we must condemn them. Uh, so it's it's been you know very very uh, anti their activities, but of course you know over here we don't tend to uh, publicise some of the the activities of the ghost hunters. I I know there are a lot of people, for instance, here in the UK, take exception to ghost hunting in cemeteries, which I understand is very popular over in America. Uh, Over here, it tends to be a little bit more frowned upon um, as being, you know, perhaps disturbing or showing disrespect for, for, uh, for the dead. Uh, Although a lot lot of ghost hunters do visit cemeteries, but they just don't publicize it quite as much because there is this, there is this, I guess, kind of backlash from the moral minority who, uh, who like to um, say something. In fact, that's the, that's the kind of thing about ghost hunting, isn't it? And it's, to use... uh, now, the interesting thing here in the U.S. is, is there is awful lot of vandalism in cemeteries. And I actually think that uh, ghost hunters, uh, I mean, I don't particularly care for investigating cemeteries, but a lot of people do. And I think they actually deter some of that vandalism that does occur. I think, I think on a scale of that, when I was over there recently, um, I was actually impressed by how well-maintained American cemeteries were compared to British cemeteries. Uh, maybe it's because I was older. Maybe it's because we just don't have that community respect for the dead. Uh, he, the majority of our cemeteries suffer a great deal of vandalism, um, mainly from from the sort of the younger elements of the community. Uh, they, they're seen, you know, as, uh, gravestones are regularly smashed and broken. Uh, you know, all sorts of nefarious activities take place. Uh, and I, when I was in America, the one thing that did impress me, actually, is how well-maintained the cemeteries were uh, and that you did seem to have a better respect for, for burial grounds. Well, uh, some of them are. Uh, for instance, uh, I didn't, I think it was two summers ago, we went out to Oneida, New York at the... Uh, Collinwood, and uh, they were gracious, newly enough, to invite us here, and Anne and uh, Karen and Leslie and myself went, and uh, we did an investigation there and a book signing and so forth, and then Anne and I stayed on, and uh, the following day, we went to uh, a cemetery in Syracuse, and just about every statue there was beheaded. Now, that was next to the University of Syracuse, so I'm just kind of would think that a lot of those heads would be sitting in some dorm room. Yeah, I, I guess it's it, it, it. I guess it's kind of goes with the goes with the territory these days. Um, but as I said, I I was impressed by how well maintained and how well cared for American cemeteries are by comparison to the British cemeteries. But uh, I'll tell you what's been. Do you ever watch Family Guy? There's a there's a segment in it. What's it called? Uh, Grinds my gears. No. No. I was just thinking. It, it. It. There are things about the paranormal that that this week particularly have been grinding my gear, and that's 
you know when people put on, you know, a group puts on a photograph or they put on a piece of video footage or a piece of evidence or it appears on a news feed somewhere, uh, the, you know, one of these uh, daily newspaper internet feeds claiming to be the next great ghost photo. I, I am endlessly amazed by the desire within some people. They feel obliged to make comments. They're often from the sceptical side of the the hobby. Um, but, you know, they don't let these pictures just go. They have to make a noise. They have to say something. And often it's simply a case of... I mean, this week we had a, a video, which came from America, actually, uh, which allegedly showed the ghost of a cat, which I think was taken in a video footage taken in a New York hotel. And it really was an appalling piece of video. It was it was very low quality. You, you couldn't have done anything with it. And anyway, it was just presented as a news item. And they weren't asking for comments or criticisms. But the sceptical community nonetheless felt obliged to get on their high horses and come up with the great line of, well, it's a rubbish piece of video tape. And unless we can see the original, then we can't say anything. Well, basically, don't say anything at all. You weren't asked. Shut exactly. up. That's true. But anyway, yeah, we, part of the show, you and I agree with you on that, um, and, and I'm trying to log into all my stuff again, which is kind of annoying, but that's all right. Um, but anyways, we, we came to talk about different strange things that were happening around the world. And yeah. strange cases. And, and one of them is, is in my book, uh, Goes Today, and it actually comes from the U.K., and, of course, that is the Battle of Edge Hill in October of 1642. when the battle. Yeah, right, battle during, I know well. During the uh, English Civil War, where the Royalists and the Roundheads, of about 30,000, fought to a stalemate, basically. And uh, But it's not the battle itself that happened. It's what happened afterwards. And, and are you familiar with that case? I am familiar with the case. I'm also familiar with the location, uh, having visited it on several occasions, plus uh, having conducted investigations at other English Civil War battlefields. But not that one. Uh, including that one, but oh, predominantly, cool. including that one, but predominantly uh, the Battle of Marston Moor, uh, which okay, is just so outside York. Let's go to this this uh, this this story, and and what what happened is is the battle was was fought again in the sky or our images of the battle were being seen in the sky. Is that correct? That's perfectly correct. Um, over the preceding weeks uh, that followed the battle, uh, numerous inhabitants of the nearby villages around Edge Hill, which is located in the English Midlands, um, reported the sounds of battle, the sights of battle. And interestingly that they, uh, the reports were taken so seriously that, that King Charles I actually sent a royal commissioner to investigate the claims. Right, that, that and, and not only made. a commissioner, but actually someone who fought during that battle. That's, that's perfectly correct. And what was most interesting is that whilst he was there, uh, he, he himself also witnessed uh, the apparition of the battle and indeed recognised some of the participants who, who he personally knew. Um, and these participants that he recognized as spectral forms included both the living and, of course, the dead. 
Mm-hmm. So it was very well documented and very well attested. And in fact, uh, although a, 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 I think a pamphlet was published the following year, most of the sightings that took place were very close to uh, this time of year between what you would call Thanksgiving and up to and around the Christmas period. Right. Uh, so, so they didn't actually... Uh, they weren't anniversary battle uh, anniversary sightings in the true sense because they didn't recur the following year um, at the same time. But people people living in the area still claim to see spectral figures, uh, hear the sounds of battle, um, although in, more infrequently these days. The land is actually quite difficult to investigate because it still lies on. Um, government-controlled Ministry of Defence property, and so large areas of the Edge Hill battlefield are kind of off-limits, um, although there are memorials and walks that uh, the, the visitors can take. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's an interesting phenomenon, and so, I mean, what what is your take on it? Well, it's certainly not a unique phenomenon. Uh, battlefield ghosts are... Uh, well, let's, the, let's talk about this. We're not talking about battlefield ghosts in general. I'm talking about this specific case. So we're, we're addressing this case, and we're not going anywhere else with it. Well, I was. I was. I was about to. I was just giving a precursor by saying battlefield ghosts are actually fairly wa- uh, widely known both sides of the Atlantic. And what's interesting is is that fact that they are so widely documented both sides. And in the case of Edge Hill in particular, you have uh, a very, very good and substantial body of evidence from reliable witnesses who were examined. Now, they may not have been examined in the same way that we would examine a witness today, but the commissioners who who went to uh, study the claims that were being made did a pretty thorough job for the time. And you're left with a conundrum. Clearly, these people weren't making it up. Clearly, these people had a genuine experience. And that points to an anomaly, uh, a, a possibly paranormal event taking place. Well, it's definitely a paranormal event because it's certainly not normal. So it's a paranormal event. But the question is, to me, it doesn't seem as ghost, ghostly figures in that they were they were not, if you believe that a ghost is a disembodied uh, soul, then I don't think that that's the case in this. Uh, from the evidence that, that I've seen on it, it seems more of as a, a rip in time or, or perhaps as uh, as my good friend Richard Felix like to say, the stone tape theory with things playing over and over again. Well, that's a possibility. Um we 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 don't know the mechanisms that cause ghosts to appear uh, to mm-hmm. people and and of course there are lots of different potentials for what we call the ghost you might see a shadowy figure other other people might see a battle some people might see uh, a vehicle uh, or an aeroplane and you would give them the same generic term ghost but the mechanisms that are creating them might be completely different what what certainly beyond question is that people were having experiences right absolutely and and what caused them is is what is open to conjecture i mean that's that's what we would debate because we certainly can't go back there and at that time and see what the conditions were exactly yeah no we can't we can't but what what's also interesting about the edge we're stuck with witness testimony basically yeah, but what's interesting about the Edge Hill case is uh, I just 
go back to a point you made earlier that that you you gave a definition of a ghost as being considered to be yeah. by most people the the appearance or apparition of somebody who's who's deceased um now it's actually not not always the case and in fact from SPR surveys that were do- that have been done over the years, the Society for Psychical Research here in the UK, uh, the vast majority of apparitions are actually of the living, um, more so than of the dead. But at Edge Hill, um, what you have there is, I don't think it's quite unique, but it's possibly almost unique in the sense that um, the witnesses, and including the commissioner, recognise the apparitions of the living and the dead. Now there you have a a set of circumstances that's highly unusual a, a single apparition or a you know somebody who you know to be dead uh, or an apparition of someone who you later find to be alive the doppelganger perhaps uh, they tend to be single sightings but here you have apparitions of the living and the dead side by side so that would suggest that something different is taking place. That would suggest that what you're dealing with is some form of time, time anomaly or uh, recording anomaly, something along those lines where both the living and the dead are, were recorded faithfully at the time of the uh, original experience, the mm-hmm. battle. And, and it possibly even a, a tie slip where where that's that spot in yeah. time is 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 played over and over again. It's it's yeah. uh, you know if you believe that time happens all at once, that's one of the theories is that you know it's just basically a loop that's playing over and over again. But who knows? So, anyways, that's my ghost story that I have to talk about. Do you have anything for me? Uh, well, you said to widen it out a little bit and uh, things that. I've been looking at uh, over the last few weeks. Uh, one of the, perhaps one of the most unusual uh, comes from uh, I think it's China, uh, which took place in the summer, uh, where there was a a woman managed to get herself trapped between the walls of her apartment building whilst trying to take a shortcut home. Although why she was doing that, I've no idea. Um, whilst trapped, she started crying out for help, but the residents of the apartment complex. Uh, were ignoring her cries for help and assistance because they believed that she was a ghost. Uh, her cries for help were ignored because passers-by and the building's residents assumed, as I said, that the, the noises were being created by a ghost and eventually the a pedestrian realised that the screams might not actually be from the dead but, me, uh, but from a live person and uh, called the authorities who eventually knocked down half the building and rescued her. So there's a case of the ghost wasn't even a ghost. Uh, So so let me get this. She was real, but they thought it was a ghost. Yep. That is particularly odd. So, okay. I mean, there are cases Uh, where where people have thought that ghosts were human and actually shot at them before. You, well, I mean, yes, there's uh, there's lots of there's several examples here in the UK uh, of people going out in the Victorian era, uh, going out with uh, clubs, guns, uh, taking pot shots at ghosts, uh, aiming to to uh, deal with them. 
I suppose it's it's a forerunner of uh, of the modern ghost hunter, isn't it? With the uh, the SWAT gear and the the uh, the body armor. They're just better armed. They were just better armed back in the Victorian era. You know, we, they used blunderbusses rather than EMF meters. I guess. Uh... Pretty cool. Pretty cool. I think. I think one of my. Uh, is it Glam's Castle up in Scotland? One of. Uh, one of the. Uh, I think he was one of the family members. Uh, the Glam's Castle is the. Uh, family home, family seat of uh, was the Queen Mother, um, who was the wife of King George the Sixth. Uh, her family home was was Glam's in Scotland, and there, it has numerous ghosts and legends associated uh, with it. Um, a family member was sort of hidden because they were hideously deformed. A member of the family allegedly playing cards with the devil. Uh, also, a hidden room, all, all manner of uh, weird stories attached to them. And I think one member of the family actually sat up with two loaded pistols, two loaded flintlock pistols, waiting for the ghost to appear up at Glam's Castle. So, uh, I think that's a pretty cool way of ghost hunting. That's proper ghost hunting. Armed and dangerous? Yeah. Best way to deal with them. Oh, actually, the best way to deal with ghost hunters, particularly if they're going to burn your house down. Hmm. Have you ever heard of the Mothman? Uh, yes, yes. Uh, we we regularly get uh, get to read the accounts of the Mothman, which is a, an interesting phenomena. But uh, uh, not something we have in the UK. It isn't. No, we don't have a Mothman. We have Springheel Jack, which is fairly similar. Well, what, well, I mean, we're almost come up to the break, but uh, I'm going to talk about the Russian Mothman when we come back. Okay. So, which will be interesting. Uh, anyways, you are listening to Ghost Chronicles uh, Next Generation. I keep wanting to say international because you're here, Stephen, but you can catch international every Tuesday night at 3 p.m., of course, on the podcast as well. Um, anyways, you're listening to Ghost Chronicles Next Generation, and we'll be right back after the following messages right here on Tokyo Night. Welcome to Tokinet, radio with a cutting edge. Feel the need to do some soul searching or make some changes in your life to create a more positive future? Then Circles of Wisdom is just the place for you. Circles of Wisdom is a metaphysical bookstore and more, located on Route 28 in downtown Andover, Massachusetts. We carry a large selection of books and music, crystals and gemstones, jewelry and gifts, sage, aromatherapy, and so much more, all in a relaxing and welcoming atmosphere. We offer classes on a variety of topics like yoga, Reiki, psychic development, alternative healing, and personal transformation. For guidance on this journey we call life, get a reading from one of our many readers at Circles of Wisdom, 90 Main Street in downtown Andover, right next to Bertucci's. Call us at 978-474-8010 or check us out on the web at www.circlesofwisdom.com. Lots to see and do in a feel-good place, an oasis in this hectic world. 
Are you bringing us back? Uh, I, well, I'll be honest with you. I wasn't sure whether it was the heartbeats were the end of the break or whether the telephone call was a minute was yeah whether the telephone call was uh an intro to another to another trailer that was cal cooper cal cooper right telephone calls from the dead who will be on our show next tuesday right uh he'll be on ghost chronicles international yes so i i wasn't sure whether the you see this isn't my this isn't my show you know i i know where to bring it in for the international yeah 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 but and you've changed your phone ringtone since last night not different phone, have many phones. So, anyways, uh, one of the we, we talked a little bit just before the uh, the break about the Mothman and uh, the Russian has their own the Blackbird of Chernobyl. You ever hear of that baby? Uh, no, but I can see with the connection with Chernobyl how it became <laughs> where this might be going. It's not one of these radioactive creatures, is it? That that was. You know, it was it was minding its own business, and all of a sudden, it was it was uh, caught in an atomic radiation and attacked by giant ants. No, it's nothing like that. I was just checking. You know, oh, I remember all those B movies where you know I know what atomic radiation does to people, does to creatures. You know, giant tarantulas, ants no. coming out all over the place. No, you remember that that the Mothman was a uh, harbinger yeah. destruction of uh, the bridge at. Uh, Pleasant Point, uh, Point Pleasant in West Virginia, right? Yeah. Which, which collapsed, claiming forty-six lives. Um, but the uh, the cousin, I guess we would call him, the Blackbird, uh, didn't bother with mere bridges or traffic accidents. It went for the worst uh, nuclear catastrophe in human history uh, in 1986. The legend of the Blackbird is really similar. Uh, and supported by the people, much like the Mothman, it was a large uh, man-like figure with wings and red piercing eyes. Many reported uh, encounters with it in the days leading up to the, uh, of course, the Chernobyl disaster. And uh, often receiving uh, mysterious phone calls like I just did and uh, had terrible nightmares, which I'll probably have tonight thinking of you. Um, well, you, thank you for that. Do you know I've just come up with another theory? That, that, yeah, I think you. Finally exploded on uh, April 26th. The pilots and rescue workers who survived the flames told frightful stories of a huge black figure flying from the destruct destroyed reactor and circling among the black plumes of smoke rising from it. The blackbird had. Claimed its victims and was never seen again. Or, or... Yes, yes. Or, there could just be... You see, now that might just be a simple case of mistaken identity going on. Because oh, really? what, you might, what you might actually have is not, is not a evil dark figure as a portent of disaster. What you might have in both instances, the bridge and at Chernobyl is a superhero figure who was there ahead of the disaster trying to avert the disaster whilst wearing his Mothman costume. He was there trying to fix the reactor and failed and warned the residents by phoning them up. You know what? You British are so silly. It's perfectly, it's as plausible as the other idea. Come on, let's be honest. So. I mean, that's based on... Might have, might have been one of the superheroes. 
I don't think so. It could have been. You see, this automatic assumption that it's always a bad thing, it might be a guardian angel figure. A little bit singed, I'll grant you. You know, you get that close to a reactor pile, you're not going to come out all white and shiny, are you? No, not really. You are going to come out a little bit black and singed. You say so. It's just, it's as perfectly valid idea as, uh, as the other one, that it's an evil figure, or a portent of evil. I don't think so. I, I, I think In fact, it kind of makes more sense. I mean, you know, you phone them up to warn them, don't you? You're getting these mysterious phone calls saying, don't go near the reactor today. It's going to be a really bad day. That's probably what happened. You know, it's like a bad here day. Yeah. Well, it would be if you went that close to a reactor. You know? I think, you, you see, there's, there's always other possibilities. All right. We shall see. Anyways, um, speaking about bizarre things, we actually have a yeah. new bizarre from my favorite girl, uh, Vala Ventura. And uh, if Sabrina's listening, then maybe we can hear it. If looks could kill. Lou Telligan was a dapper young star who appeared in 26 silent films in the 1920s. His good looks brought him fame from Paris to New York, and he was rumored to be Sarah Barnhart's lover. But when he got cancer in the 1930s, his handsome features rapidly deteriorated. One day, as he stood in the mirror shaving, he was so overcome with horror at his new ugly face that he stabbed himself to death with a pair of gold scissors that had his name engraved on them. A terrifyingly frightening fact from Varla Ventura's Beyond Bazaar. Okay, that was bizarre. well. It's very classy. At least they were gold. They were they were gold. Uh, they were gold scissors. Right. Oh, hey, there... hey, speaking of um, speaking of the truly bizarre. Yeah, sir. Um. And and as we're coming up to Black Friday, and as we're as it's now officially Thanksgiving here in the UK, because we're a day ahead of you. Obviously, it's uh, Thursday, so happy Thanksgiving. But tomorrow, for both of us, will be Black Friday. And I noticed uh, some adverts have been popping up uh, on my on my internet feed from various paranormal equipment suppliers. And uh, if we want to talk about the bizarre, have you seen some of these new bits of equipment that are? That are being offered for sale to the to the ghost hunting community. No, I have not. Oh, I some of them are just. Um, I won't. Uh, well, <laughs> are we allowed? To, are we allowed to advertise on their behalf? But there's one company based in based in the USA that manufacture their own ghost hunting gadgets, uh, specialized ghost hunting equipment, hand built exclusively for the paranormal investigator. And you know what? Some of them are absolutely. I, I've no idea really what the what the, what they do, what they're supposed to do. Um, they basically look like bits of uh, plastic with coloured plastic tubing attached to them, um, and oh, allegedly yeah. measure stuff. Yeah, you know the ones we're talking about. Um, <laughs> and they're getting increasingly bizarre. The newest one that they've got is is a camera that looks like an orb. So, in fact, it's called an orbital camera. So maybe it's a good at catching orbs. And uh, it was, you know, with Black Friday coming up, they do have a sale on. Uh, it's twenty bucks off most things. Really? If you want to waste, well, there's one here. There's it, I, 
it looks like some sort of um, well I won't even begin to describe what it looks like it looks more like a sex toy than a ghost hunting gadget but um, you know I'm just wondering you, you spend $40 on it fair enough but you could buy a decent thermometer for that and yeah, well, you know, I'm actually yeah. working on, on my own. Uh, you know, I'm very much into spirit communication and so forth. And, and, and I decided to combine uh, the old spiritualist rapping, tapping and uh, the the modern day hack shack or ghost box. So what I've worked on now is this um, uh, the uh, the coffee meter. Yeah, coffee meat. And uh, it basically, the coffee pot, you can make coffee, which is good for ghost hunting. And, and at the same time, as it perks, it will, the spirit will be able to communicate with you with, with the series of raps and taps. So I, I think it's just a, a win-win situation for both the spirit and the ghost hunter as well. So that's my... Uh, well, well it, you've got to remember the key, the key thing to selling this product is, A, price it at at least... A hundred dollars and B put lots of coloured LEDs all over the front of it. Yeah, because well, ghost LEDs. ghost hunters love well ghost hunters love to have coloured LEDs. I mean, it doesn't matter what they do or what it's supposed to be measuring, provided it's got coloured LEDs all over the front of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just looking at some of these. I've got their website up as we speak, um, and I'm just looking at the the astonishing range of devices that they do now. Um, I've I've been following this this company for quite some time, and do you know what? I'm looking. There's ten products here, and I still can't figure out nine of them. One of them looks like a butterfly. Another looks like some sort of wee weird juice harp with an LED on the end of each end. Yeah. And uh, hey, I'd love to see these used on a ghost. Well, actually, no, I wouldn't. I'll, have to get I'll some. be I'm honest. Sure you use the Ghost Meter Pro that I sent you that I gave sent you back. I'm sure you use that all the time now. Um. Endlessly out walking the ancient uh, ancient lanes and byways of uh, West Wales, the land of the Red Dragon, because it's got the ancient ghost mode on it. I mean, that's the which, which I right. find to be absolutely invaluable. I mean, this week this week alone, four ancient Egyptians, a Greek, and a Roman. Really, I, I, I'm really surprised at that. Anyways, um, I, do you believe in reincarnation? Um, I did the first time around, but okay. after the third oh, cool. after the third lifetime, I I, I kind of figured it it was maybe just deja vu. This is an interesting case. This is the case of John Raphael in the Tower Tree. You ever hear of that? No, that's a new one on me. Well, Peter Hume, who is a uh, bingo caller from Birmingham, England, that's that's towards you a little bit, uh, started having very specific dreams about his life on guard duty at the Scottish border in 1646. He was a foot soldier in Cromwell's army, and his name was John Raphael, or Raphael, whatever. When he put under hypnosis, Hume remembered more details and locations. He started to visit places, and he remembered his brother, and even found small items that appeared to have come from that era that which he lived in, such as a horse's spur or something else. Um, with the help of a village historian in Comstock, South England, wherever the hell that is, uh, he even managed to positively identify details about the church that he had uh, not known, but had known in previous lives. And he was able to tell that the church uh, used to have a tower with a U. That's Y E W tree growing from it. 
this was never a published fact, and it started. Uh, it startled uh, him, by the way. So the the church tower had been taken down in 1676, and a local registers. Uh, John Raphael was discovered to have married in that church. Wow. So Ron Hutton investigated the case and asked Hume for very specific questions under hypnosis. And Hutton was not satisfied that Hume was totally in tune with the era of a Pap's life because he could not answer all the questions. Oh, that's a shame. Well... Ronald, Professor Ronald Hutton, to give him his full title, is actually uh, one of the world's leading experts on that period of time uh, as a folklore historian here in the UK. Um, uh, you know, of course, a lot of these, a lot of these cases of, of, of apparent reincarnation, including the famous, the most famous of all, the Bridie, uh, the Bridie Murphy case in Ireland, uh, turn out to actually be a case of forgotten memories. People have read something. People have have uh, watched a film. In fact, several cases of reincarnation have have actually mirrored film scripts. But, but, uh, I'm holding in my hands the proceedings of the American Society for Psychical Research from September of 1966, uh, published by, uh, or written by Ian Stevenson, which is 20 cases suggestive of reincarnation. Now, this is one of the landmark books, um, are, and the 20 cases actually do provide some fairly compelling evidence for the possibility at least of reincarnation um, so uh, I, I don't I don't particularly believe in reincarnation I believe that uh, people do remember that stuff but they're getting information from uh, different uh, places I guess the word would be from, from different mm, uh, well, well, I don't want to get too deep. Into well, this, nonetheless, there, you know, there, there is actually uh, some serious research that is being undertaken into re, uh, reincarnation yeah. and the questions it poses. Now, I, obviously, I just mentioned Ian Stevenson's book, um, but there is a current current uh, researcher in Iceland, Professor Erlander Haraldson, a member of the Society for Psychical Research, who has presented numerous papers and. Uh, written extensively on cases he's examined uh, around the world in Iceland and in the uh, Far East, India, um, and uh, further afield. And he remains deeply convinced that there is something at least worthy of attention and worthy of further investigation. So I I don't think we should throw the baby out with the bathwater. I don't. I, I'm with you on this one. I don't think that we that we just get recycled like you know like an old washing machine and come back again. Uh, it doesn't kind of make sense. I know uh, some religions do support reincarnation and others uh, are against reincarnation, but there is there is evidence that it's certainly an interesting aspect of human personality I that we so. need to examine. So speaking about that, interesting things of personality have. You ever heard about a naked ghost? Uh, there are several. There are several here in the UK. Uh, they're quite rare because it, they're often thrown back uh, to uh, against the conundrum of why do ghosts wear clothes? Because if the ghost is a an embodiment of a deceased soul, then why? How how did the, the clothes manifest? But but there are there are examples of naked ghosts. Uh, I think there's three or four here in the UK that I can. 
I, I don't have, I, I can't recall all the details, but I do know there's uh, a handful of cases. What I was going to talk about was the naked legionnaire of Abbey Church. How do you know he's a legionnaire if he's naked? Well, let me tell you. Uh, the only thing that's <laughs> frightening encounter in a dark alley is the ghost of a naked ghost. The ghost of a ghost, okay. Uh, the Bath area of Great Britain, do you know where that is? I do. It is famous for many uh, paranormal legends, perhaps none stranger than the nude ghost of a Roman soldier that can be occasionally seen running through the alleyways of the town of Abbey Church. The apparition is said to be quite convincing. Once a police officer mistook it for a real streaker and started to chase him, only to see him disappear in thin air. Hmm. Well, we define people's uh, period in time um, by their costume and their attire. You know, we can recognise a knight because he's wearing shining armour. We recognise a Victorian person because of their particular dress. A Tudor person would be wearing, you know, the the rough collar and the, the pantaloons. How do they know it's a Roman? How do they know he's a centurion? I, you get the point here. If he's got nothing on... There ain't no clues there. He's just a naked person. Well, maybe he had a tattoo. Did you think of that? The, actually, the Roman legionary, uh, legionaries did actually have tattoos. I think they had SPQR uh, tattooed, tattooed on them. Now, I guess somebody got up pretty well up close and personal to spot that one. Um, so. but, but, you know... No maybe, clothes. Maybe, maybe he had a tan line. Maybe people just imagined that because he was seen near a Roman bathhouse in the town, in the city of Bath, um, a place I do know well and have visited uh, several occasions, um, that therefore he must be a Roman. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd have, I'd have, I'd have kind of gone with a. You know, he disappeared. Either a very agile streaker, um, or or just perhaps a ghost from some era. Well, they they say it's a Roman legion, so if they say it, then it's good enough for me because I wasn't there, I didn't see him, so I'll have to take the eyewitnesses' testimony. Yeah, Which but you see that was it a as an investor, I, I don't care. As an investigator, you're supposed to ask those pertinent questions. How did you identify him as being Roman when he was without any form of identification? What identification? That's true. I told you, that's true. Well, it doesn't say that in any of the accounts. That he, the, well, didn't the, I just tell you? I mean, I'm, I have this psychic ability. You, you just tend to overlook it. So, I mean, that's, that's the problem. Okay, well, fine. I don't tend to overlook it. I willfully overlook it. <laughs> So anyways, I mean, we we have our own uh, famous ghosts from uh, America and our own battles. Uh, do you know about the ghosts of the Alamo? Uh, to be honest with you, I don't I don't know. I mean, I, I've got... Uh, have you ever heard of the Alamo? Oh, I know about the Alamo and I've seen the film. Uh, and I know that John Wayne was there. Yeah. Uh, and Maybe. some guy, some guy who had a dead a dead cat on his head or something, a uh, dead raccoon on his head. Is you know what? When I was a little little lad, I used to have one of those. So don't make. I can. Uh, I I can. Ima- I've seen the baseball cap. I can imagine there being a raccoon's tail on one of them. Hmm. Hmm. Anyways, uh, but this- yes, I've I've heard of the Alamo, and uh, 
I do know that there are ghost stories inevitably associated with the Alamo. Right, absolutely. And, and you know, uh, TojiNet, of course, is the, the broadcasting from uh, Texas. So this is local legend to them. So uh, anyways, uh, the ghost stories of the Alamo uh, almost started immediately when uh, the uh, Mexican general actually sent uh, his troops to uh, demolish the, the church because it was a symbol. And uh, the troops that were sent there encountered six rogue ghosts banishing fiery swords and threatened their lives, and they all ran away. So the general himself came back uh, to get rid of it. And uh, once again, he uh, witnessed this as well. And uh, that's why the Alamo is still there, because these six robes, these six monks, which, by the way, is my book goes today, um, with their flaming swords, chased off the entire Mexican army. So, Actually, do you know, that sounds exactly like the Angels of Mons story. Uh, really? That, that, uh, in fact... Uh, yeah, I mean it's very, very famous in British in British uh, paranormal folklore. Uh, a story that started circulating in 1914, after the initial stages of the First World War, uh, the Germans made a, a, a sweeping advance through the uh, the Belgian uh, around the Belgian town of Mons, uh, and the, as the retreating Brits were in a bind, as we say over here. Um, Several of the, or the story goes that uh, different versions of it. It was either the ghostly army of King Henry V um, or angels with bows and arrows started really? to to shoot at the Germans and the Germans fell back in disarray with large numbers of casualties and the British were thus saved and made good their escape. Oh, were, were they uh, Catholic or Ang- Anglican? I'm just curious. Well, what was interesting is the story actually began began life uh, as a work of fiction in a book called, uh, in a newspaper article originally, um, by a reporter called Arthur Macken. Uh, he wrote it up later as the story of the Bowmen, or the Angels of Mons and Other Legends of War, which was published in 1915, with actually a disclaimer uh, that the story had any, had any uh, degree of truth. And it was, in fact, simply that, a, an inspiring story written you know, in time of national crisis. However, what was interesting, after the story was published in the media and picked up, that a large number of people um, started to come forward with their own friend-of-a-friend accounts. It happened to a a guy, a man who was lying wounded in the bed next to me. He saw these angels. Um, Nurses would say that the wounded men were also telling the story. So the story started to take a life of its own to the point where Macken repeatedly stressed that he had, in fact, created this. And then you had others coming back saying, well, yeah, you created the story, but you inadvertently based the story on fact. And anyway, we know you were telling the truth, but then you tried to cover it up later because what you were covering up, of course, was a mass retreat from the Germans. And so the whole thing gets all tangled up and woven up um, as this myth, legend, um, the Angels of Mons. Hmm. So, I mean, how do we separate the the myths and the legends and 
reality, but do we? Well, we don't, do we? Uh, and in fact, ghost hunting often perpetuates or in fact starts myths. I know of cases over here, uh, quite local to me in West Wales, where a building has never had a, any, any re- reported haunting until the ghost hunters go along because on the basis that it's an old building, it's, it's a castle, it, therefore it must have a ghost. Inevitably, they, they and their equipment or they and their sensitive detect something, pick up something, interact with something, either an EVP or in the case of Pembroke Castle near here, um, a fairly innocuous event, then they report it on their Facebook and, and internet sites, then others go along, and of course they know the previous account, and before a year's out, you have a haunted castle where previously no such ghost had existed. And indeed, that awful television programme we talked about before has probably been responsible for creating more haunted buildings than, uh, yeah. than any, any other single... OK. You get the idea? I do, I do. Yeah. And, I... I'm, sure, and, I'm, and I'm sure Super Mario Brothers also have created many a haunted building. Uh, you know what's interesting? Oh, that was a loud one. There's a doorbell, which means pizza from the dead is here. But I just wanted to share one one thing. You talked a little bit earlier, but when we were talking about the battle uh, in the sky, about uh, the ghosts of the living and the dead. And and do you know in uh, Lennon's ghost was actually seen while he was still alive? Uh, did you say Lennon or Lincoln? Lennon, Lennon, the Russian. John. Oh no, I was thinking of John Lennon. Nope. Uh. I wouldn't be surprised. As I said before, there is this survey done um, by the Society for Psychical Research, and they actually discovered that the majority at that time, and in fact, it still kind of holds true today if you don't allow for the skew of ghost hunting groups. Um, A lot of apparitions are actually apparitions of the living rather than of the dead. So that's hardly surprising that that Lennon's apparition appeared while he was alive. Hmm. I mean, there's there's so many cases of actually of uh, people who have showed up and said goodbye to to loved ones and actually never died. They're called uh, the, crisis. I, I'm, yeah, well, there's a really really good one. I don't know if, how many more minutes we've got left, but uh, this one. Good time. Well, this one took place uh, quite recently. Uh, I think within the last four or five years, when a uh, a flight from Canada to Switzerland, the Swiss Air flight, uh, they incorrectly loaded the fuel, and so the thing ran out of fuel mid-Atlantic, this big 200-passenger uh, air- airliner, and turned into a giant glider. And the people on board, of course, were all convinced absolutely that they're going to ditch in the middle of the Atlantic and that the chances of survival will be next to nil. However, uh, the plane did successfully glide over 100 miles and landed safely eventually in the Azores, mid-Atlantic. However, what was interesting is one of the passengers uh, appeared to his, at his mother's bedside while she, uh, while she was asleep in Switzerland. And wow. she was convinced he'd been killed on the flight. But of course he hadn't. He'd survived along with the rest of the crew. The passengers well, the crisis, crisis goes. But anyway... He was a crisis yeah, anyways, we've run out of time. We want to thank you, thank uh, Steve so much for joining me and have the day off. Anyway, 
folks. Thank you so much uh, for listening uh, to Ghost Chronicles Next Generation. And tune in next Tuesday. We'll have Cal Cooper. And Wednesday... Uh, Happy Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. From goalies to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us, good Lord.